2: The following podcast contains explicit language.
3: Um, if you can't, can you hear yourself? Yes. Okay. Hello. There's a, a little knob here in case you want to adjust the
2: volume. Hello. Ooh. Oh. That's fine. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> I like mine loud. <laughs> <laughs> oh this makes me want to be a dj yo, what up, what up what up today biggie smalls 20 years we in brooklyn represent yo 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 <laughs> oh no he wonder why christmas missed us birthdays <laughs> was the worst days
0: oh yeah this is fun <laughs> hey y'all and welcome to represent I'm Aisha Harris, your host, and that was Journey Smollett-Bell and Amira Van, the stars of the WGN series Underground, and they were fooling around in our studio, wrapping the illustrious stylings of the notorious B.I.G., who passed away 20 years ago last week. So on this episode, we're switching things up a bit, and my wonderful producer, Vera Lynn, will take a turn in the interviewer's chair, as she recently sat down with Journey and Amira to discuss season two of the show. But first up, a brand new segment we're calling Recognize. Since this show began, I've had people throw out lots of suggestions for shows, topics, or people to cover, and so many of them have been really great ideas, but unfortunately, as we are but a weekly show, and as I am someone who writes about pop culture, but can't possibly consume it all, we haven't always been able to give them the full treatment they probably deserve, So Recognize will serve as a space for some guests to drop by for a few minutes to briefly shout out a show, movie, or character they love or just find really, really interesting. So check it out. And here's our first installment with one of my lovely colleagues at Slate, June Thomas. Thank you so much, June, for coming on. You're making your represent debut. I am. I oh, It's very exciting. <laughs> so, June Thomas, our lovely longtime, my lovely longtime Slate colleague, but now you are a managing producer of Slate Podcast. You've taken on a new role recently. I
1: have. I've got my headphones on all the time. My hair is constantly squashed.
0: <laughs> That's. But I'm so happy to have you on in <laughs> this full capacity, and it's great to have you. Thank you. So... We're here today to talk about the supporting character on American Housewife, uh, Angela, who's played by Carly Hughes. Now, I've never seen the show. I'm not even really aware of the show. And I wonder how many of our listeners are as well. So if you could just give a brief little uh, sort of um, summation of the plot and how Angela fits
1: into the plot. So American Housewife is a show that when I describe it, I think a lot of listeners are going to go, what? <laughs> but I swear, I find it's like one of my favorite sources of joy on television. Um, so it's part of the ABC, what you might describe as the ABC diversity sitcom block. Ah. You know, it sits <laughs> alongside Blackish and the Goldbergs and Fresh Off the Boat and Speechless. But this show is about white people in Connecticut. Westport a sta- Connecticut. state you know something about Aisha? Yes. This yes. is specifically in Westport, Connecticut. And the the sort of the friction of the show comes around the lead in the show, Katie Otto, who's played by the magnificent Katie Mixon. And the sort of, the idea is that she doesn't belong. Her family doesn't belong. This is a, this is a town for rich people with a particular set of values which she doesn't share. And they're also all skinny and drink green juices, and she's a full-figured woman, and she just thinks a lot that they're shallow, and she's worried about her kids growing up in that environment. Mm. And and so it's kind of – it's your basic fish-out-of-water sitcom. Right. She really is full of anger. She's, like, actually kind of constantly boiling with rage, boiling over, being mean to people. But she has two friends – who both happen to be women of color. They're played by Ali Wong, plays Doris, who's a super rich mom who's also super sarcastic. And then Angela, played by Carly Hughes, is, you know, she's a little snarky too. So so Katie and Doris and Angela get together pretty much every day, it seems, have a second breakfast and just, like, talk smack about people in town.
0: So what is it about Angela that you, like, are drawn to? What makes her such a... Sharp sort of representation of because Angela is a a lesbian. Yes. Uh, But like you talk, you've talked a bit about in onslate.com, onslate.com, about the way in which she sort of her character is um, an improvement upon what we usually see for lesbian sidekick characters.
1: Right. So let me give a little background on lesbian sidekicks. Now they've been around forever. We know them from, you know, Scooby Doo, Mm -hmm. uh, Velma, uh, or, you know, Peppermint Patty. In peanuts, so like we know these characters who like they have names, they have certain characteristics, but we don't—they don't have a lot of depth to them. And then in recent years, there's been this big trend toward lesbian psychics of color. And in my cynicism, which you know is not my best trait, I ascribe this to the fact that GLAAD does its report and shows get points for mm. having both people of color and uh, representations of of things other than, you know, heterosexuality. And so you got a lesbian of colour. It's a twofer on the GLAD score. Yeah, checking off the boxes. Check, check. So, you know, we've had this whole army of lesbian sidekicks of colour. There was was this woman, Annalise, on Grandfathered. She was John Stamos' kitchen sidekick. Uh, Denise on Master of None, played by Lena Waithe, or Wythe. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce her name. And then Pippi on Rosewood. Mm. um Rosewood's sister. So, you know, they're out there. But typically they they're like they're not formed. They've got names. We know their names. They do things, but it's all in service of the main character. Now, this is also true of Angela. Angela, you know, hasn't had a huge amount to do, mm. but at least we know something about her. We know that uh she is divorced from her former wife. Um, that sh- that she kind of co-parents, you know, that they have kids together, they co-parent, but they broke up because Angela cheated on her wife. Uh, we know that she's an attorney, so like she has, like we keep learning more about her. It's not just she's not just the lesbian, yeah. Um, and no, it's not perfect. What makes her not perfect? So it's not perfect because, especially in the first episode when we met everyone, I mean, so you know, you're you're. Network pilot is a really high degree of difficulty. There's a lot to do, a lot to introduce. We met Katie and her family. She's got three kids and a husband. Um, And Katie was going on and on about being the second fattest woman in Westport. Oh, yes. I see that in the trailer. Yeah. Yeah. it's In the trailer, (laughs) it's like it was said about a thousand times in the pilot episode. And so Katie was trying to get someone who's bigger than her to move into an empty house across the street. And, you know, so that she wouldn't be the fattest woman in Westport, or something like that. And so they got this she got this woman to come. And then it turned out the woman was like a racist homophobe. So Katie made out with Angela in front of this potential buyer so as to put her off the purchase. I
0: need to fix the mess I made next door, no matter what it takes. But how do you get a racist homophobe to fall on a escrow? Hi, Gail. Hi, neighbor. I would like for you to meet Angela my wife and lover i've heard so much about you
1: <laughs> no <that>, oh, okay <laughs> that was sidekick exploitation yeah so that was not cool and you know we still haven't seen angela we hear about her libido so it's like she's not just a lesbian in name only, mm-hmm. but she's also, you know, she's got no relationships that we know of with other women. So there's definitely a lot of room for like filling out. Have we at least seen her family yet? Or No, we have not.
0: Huh.
1: And, you know, I get that because that's just like a network casting thing. Yeah. You don't see characters on TV shows when they're not going to do much unless they're just going to be there for one time or something like that. So, you know, no, we have not seen anything. And that that is starting to worry me. But it does seem to have caught on. And Angela and Doris are still very central to the show's premise. So I have hope that maybe she'll get a girlfriend who might actually get cast. Mm -hmm. And that would be amazing. Well, it sounds
0: like people should check out American Housewife if they're interested. Or is there a certain type of person
1: who might (laughs) like this? Here's the thing. I am a little worried that people will watch this show and think, Really, this is a show that you like. I think it is really like how you respond to Katie Mixon. I find her irresistible, mm-hmm. um, and you know, every time I see Ali Wong, even though she's playing a character here, I do see a little bit of Baby Cobra. You know, her famous mm-hmm. um, Netflix special. Um, it's there's just a, there's a sweet there's a sweetness to it. That, you know, Katie has three cute kids. She has a really nice marriage. I would say too, if you're maybe more than a size four six you might get some uh, pleasure out of this show uh, like the feeling of rage of everybody <laughs> being a size two and going on about their green drinks uh, but um, yeah no it's it's a, a pleasant sitcom Awesome
0: well thanks so much uh, Angela sounds like a really interesting character We should all be on the lookout for it.
1: Yes and I hope we see more of Kristen.
0: so Verlyn hey hey <laughs> so today I passed the baton to you you recently sat down with the stars of underground yes and yeah. you're a
3: huge fan <laughs> I'll never forget like that weekend of after I watched it and I was like Aisha we have to you don't understand and I was like okay
0: <laughs> uh, so as listeners can probably tell I have actually not, watched the show or caught up with it yet. Um, But this is why I had Verilyn coming because she's a huge fan. And there was no way I was going to be able to get to watch it in time for us to talk to Journey and Amira. So I'm glad to have you on.
3: Yes, And um, for listeners that don't know, Underground um, in season one tells the stories of seven slaves who decide to escape the Macon plantation in Georgia and make what can only be described as the epic, heart-wrenching journey to freedom. And, um, yeah, I feel like let's leave it there. Um, Here's my conversation with Journey and Amira. Yay! Hi, y'all. Hi. Hi. <laughs> I devoured season one in like a weekend. Yes. And I came back <laughs> and I told Aisha Harris, who's the host of um, Representing the Regular, like, yo, we have to do this. We have to talk about it. And it was right around the time of Birth of a Nation. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, me and Journey has already talked about like the slavery fatigue that was happening in that moment. And I guess I wanted the first question I want to ask you when Misha Green, who is one of the creators of the show, and Palance. Joe Pekoski. Joe Bukowski. Pa- to Pokaski, I can see all the black names, but. Let me get- <laughs> 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 so when Misha Green and Joe Pokowski, who is. Close what? enough. <laughs> I'm sorry, Joe. I'm sorry. Uh, came, approached you all and told you about the show and they told you it was on the Underground Railroad. What was your reaction? Were you like cool or were you like wait, I'm tired of slavery stories.
4: Um, To be honest, I was skeptical. Um, It wasn't Misha and Joe who approached me. It was my agent who Mm. said, um, Journey, here's (laughs) the script. You know, we were negotiating for another show. And he was like, you know, you might want to read this other pilot. Um, It's actually been picked up to series. And it's it's one of the strongest pilots out right now. And... um, When he sent it to me, I was like, really? How are they going to do this as a TV show? Um, But once I read the first script, I was blown away. Mm. You know, I was blown away by the point of view, the perspective that Joe and Misha were taking. And it was bold. It was revolutionary. It was telling the story of those who disrupted the system, those who fought back. And I was like, wow, you know, we actually have never seen this story told we have never seen the story of the underground railroad toad um, in long format and instantly i had to be a part of it i texted anthony hemingway our executive producer and director i had worked with him on true blood and i was like listen i'm rosalie okay <laughs> i don't know if you know yet i don't know if you noticed, <laughs> but um uh and i sent him like a long book of reasons why I was born to play her mm. <laughs> and he just responded back with a snapshot of his pitching book that he had, he had used to get the job with Misha and Joe and next to the name Rose Lee was my picture wow yeah, that story still gives me chills. Because well, well, what if it was someone else's picture? I mean, what? He wouldn't have texted you back. <laughs> <laughs> you would be like, yeah, 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 yeah. He'd be like, cool, cool, cool. Um, Send me your tape.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you know the story is similar, really across the board. I feel like every time we talk about it, you know, I I tabled the audition cause I mm-hmm. and I don't do that, but I said, oh, I don't know, because of the times, you know, we had seen so much, and I said, I don't know that this is what I want to do and then the the writing and you know you know journey said it all so the only thing I'll add to what she said is the fact that the roles you know were so fleshed out and the mm. female characters were so I, fleshed yes. so oh so mm. well rounded so mm. strong I, think, I don't
3: think I've ever seen depiction of black women enslaved on television with so much agency, like Mm -hmm. your choice, especially Ernestine, you you play, so I didn't even tell people what you, who you all play, so (laughs) Journey, you play Rosalie, Mm -hmm. and Amira, you play Ernestine, her mother, and Ernestine, in my opinion, I know there's like a lot of debate online, but I feel like you, gave up so much you made so many choices to protect your children and you were mm-hmm. constantly making choice and i know there are a lot of people that will say you know if you're an enslaved person and i use enslaved instead of a slave so do we. um mm-hmm. that you can't make choice but i i saw your choices every step of the way and i don't think we've ever seen that particularly from black
2: women on mm-hmm. screen most definitely i told i mean i totally agree she did everything i feel like there's never really a situation that a mama is not bending her you know trying and doing everything she can possibly do to try to afford a better life for the child I don't care what situation you're in so I'm with you. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like even present day, you know, with mm-hmm. if, if you're broke, the mother takes two jobs. I have girlfriends who have like, you know, she's like, girl, you know, I got me my second job. You know, I'm going tonight. Every mother in every situation over the years has mm-hmm. always made, you know, extreme sacrifices. And when you talk about Antebellum South, 1857, 58, mm-hmm. you know, the, the extenuating, this, uh, horrific, cer- under horrific circumstances where life and death was on the line, it just you know, their heroism just needs to be glorified even more.
3: Mm-hmm. And did you use, I'm curious about how you prepared for the roles. So um, as an English major, mm-hmm. <laughs> I read a lot of, I took everything with black and woman in the title. So I read a lot of slave narratives, but I can count on my hand. I actually it was only one. When I was trying to think about just from memory the stories from black women that I heard and Harriet Jacobs um, incidents of a slave girl girl, is like the only
4: one I could really think of. Well, there's a, there's a lot when you go back to um, the library of Congress's Mm -hmm. collection of slave narratives. Um, There's an amazing book that was kind of like my Bible
3: on set
4: um, called the bullwhip days. And it's a collection of, um, the narratives and there's a lot of stories of Mm -hmm. women who fell in love women who you know were the Ernestines and, and did everything they could to protect their children and in this book you know they divide it into different chapters and they talk about home life and the church and they talk about religion and um, it's incredible because you're able to get first person account of what it was like to be an enslaved man or a woman from their point of view right mm-hmm. so not talking about them mm-hmm. it's their words and you know I think that that in itself is so helpful and was helpful for us oh yeah just to be able to understand from their mouth what it was like not it being a history book mm-hmm. not it being uh, you know such a, remo- a removed point of view but when you get down to the nitty gritty, the mundane. Oh, they, they grew a garden outside Mm. their shacks Mm. to supplement the food that they, they, you know, the bare minimum food they were being given. Oh, they were given like one pair of shoes for the entire year. Or, you know, like all those details really helped us bring our characters to life. And it's written in their dialect, too. So yeah. that's that's
2: so, it just places you right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because you hear the sound and, you know, I'm very mm-hmm. musical. Yeah. So it's just like when you, when you just you read it. You sing on the show. <laughs> yes. And so when you read, you know, when you read that, yeah. it has its own rhythm, its own life to it.
4: And depending on, you know, what part of the country they're from, it right. changes. Mm-hmm. Like right, the, totally. the ones who were from Texas have a different... Um, dialect and then yeah, yeah and so yeah, it's yeah. really great.
3: And so we're recording this the day after episode one of season two draft mm. and um, I'm gonna be upfront and say that I've already watched all three um,
2: <laughs> and try y'all to brag. Say, <laughs> right? <laughs> we ain't even see all three. I know <laughs> so wrong.
3: Um, and in, in this season um, Ernestine we won't give too much away but you are now on a different plantation than the the Mekong plantation which is really what, where you we meet you all in Season one, and you're with the Gullah people. Yes,
2: got the Gullah Geechee Nation,
3: and which is... it's attached to. So I'm from Sierra Leone. Oh, wonderful! And, exactly. And yeah, y'all that's, was that's y'all people. There like, you go.
2: Wait, this sounds like Creole. So I did a of my love googles, that.
3: and I was like, oh, there's a connection between. Most that. definitely. Like, so, like, to, to talk a little bit about that. And I, so, another thing I would love, I love about this is that there are so many moments where I'm like, I'm pausing and I'm googling. I'm pausing because right. <laughs> mm. there's just so many details. and You're like, did this really happen? Yeah. Um. So us yeah, speak a little bit about the Gullah people, which,
2: which oh man. There. So it's yeah, the Gullah Geechee Nation is fantastic. We were honored to have Queen Quet, who um you know she if you Instagram or Twitter and all mm-hmm. that you know she's an extraordinary resource on the Gullah Guchi nation and to find out like, you know, it's another source of pride for us, mm. a different system of how they operated as enslaved peoples. They were able to retain a lot of their culture because they were, it's a coastal, mm-hmm. you know, um, where they lived. And so the, often the white enslaved slave owners, um, they could not withstand or really their bodies couldn't mm. deal with anything that was coming over from the continent of Africa. They just didn't have the systems system to which was actually good because then they went to the mainland and then the people were able to actually retain their culture. And so it's still enslavement. It's still horrific. Still all of the same, you know, uh, you know, atrocities were happening, but they were able to retain more of their culture mm. because it was mostly them on the uh, on the coastal island. And then so you see it in the colors. You know, our mm-hmm. costume designer, Karen Wagner, was able to really, sh- you know, make that shine it's with so all the beautiful colorful. colors. The blues, oh, yeah. It's such a contrast. Absolutely. To In the House where Miss Susanna was really mm-hmm. saying, this is what I want it to look like. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really great. But also, it's, you know, the source of pride that I was talking about is like they went to Sierra Leone. They went to West Africa to say, you know what to do with these rice you know, we need we have we want to create these rice plantations, and you know how to mm. really cultivate this land, and uh, you know. So they, they we they sought us for our skills, and so we are we developed America.
3: Well, and and I love the introduction of that into a story about the Underground Railroad and slavery, because I think a lot of times, unfortunately, the people stories that we hear even when we think about slave narratives are. the people that were able to r- get free and write and learn. Right. So we don't, a lot of times don't get to hear from the people that like just made the choice to stay. We all think that we would be the person that ran. Right. right. <laughs> but most people like stayed and lived their life and chose made choices within that, that structure. Um, and so it's good to hear a different story from that time that we don't traditionally get to, to hear from. Yeah. Um, so let's um bring some Elizabeth into this. I think Elizabeth in representing I think the white abolitionist, the white woman abolitionist to me is so interesting. Um we see her in season episode 1 of season 2 go into the sewing circle, which mm-hmm. again another moment where I paused, Googled, and I was like, "Wow, this was actually a thing where um abolitionist white wh- women, white and black would meet up and take this opportunity to, to plan, to organize, to disrupt um, the system, which sounds like the average Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. <laughs> um, conversation that we will have right now. And, you know, in it, she's told that, you know, the silence around slavery is an extension of its brutality.
0: And we aim to put the issue into every northern home who uses to see what's really happening. Well, the narratives raise awareness. And the rallies and the bake sales to raise funds and abolitionist prints like the Liberator. All forms of disruption. I have to believe that a true understanding of what the Southern Negroes are enduring will
3: incite good people to action. And I'm listening to this on Underground in 2017 for the first time, and the irony mm-hmm. of that mm-hmm. is not lost on me. Right. Um, so like telling the story like why now like why this moment especially you know when you think about last year um Django Unchained 2012 12 Years a Slave 2013 you know why now
4: you know I think um the the answer comes from Misha Green um Mm. who created this along with Joe, but she was the she was the one who thought you know there's actually never been a, a long format story about the Underground Railroad and she wanted to create it. And she said, you know we had seen the occupation so much and we needed to see the revolution. Mm. I feel like we hungered to see a different side of our story told. We hungered to learn about those of us who did disrupt, who did organize um, that spirit of revolution that we have now where we say we, we matter, That didn't just, you know, come about now. It wasn't just invented Mm -hmm. um, recently. And that (laughs) spirit of revolution we've always had. We've always been saying we matter. Um, And I think that's why people responded to it so positively of like, you know, like you're saying, you're Googling things. Mm -hmm. You're learning. And our spirits are hungry for this sense of pride. You know, it's unfortunate because there's so much shame attached to our history. When the fact is, we did nothing wrong. Okay, um, it was done to us, and for some reason, there's so many of us who are like, I don't want to see that. I don't want to know about that. And this level of shame, I think we need to take away. And I think what Underground is doing is it's helping in that dialogue. Mm-hmm. It's helping contribute to a, a another piece of our pie that was missing, and that piece was this story of us, of those of us who did fight back
2: mm, honestly and mm. i think in this period where you know the truth is so questionable these days mm. you know mm. and anyone mm. can mm. say <laughs> right that yeah. people are hungry for the truth yeah. so mm-hmm. with this part point of in history you know this one storyline you know the beauty of having it on a tv show and a series is that we can go deeper and go mm-hmm. farther we
4: can we can explore the mundane we
1: can write. Mm. right
4: And so when you look
2: at the story, you know, if you just kind of, you know, do a wash over it, you don't, you you know, everyone's always like, oh, with the white hero and all that. And I love that about our story. Like, you know, you see what happens. I'm not going to say anything because I know people still tuning in. But the end of season one, the end of episode one, season two, last Mm -hmm. night our premiere episode, people blown away. Mm -hmm. I think what's beautiful about it is that. It was like we said all all last year was this, the first integrated civil rights movement. It's a beautiful story yeah. of the nation coming together. And exactly. I, and you know I was talking to someone actually yesterday, and it was really beautiful because we were saying how you know how do we keep our positivity and our hearts you know alive and awake and vibrant and and in the in the state of the world as it's falling apart you know. And I think one of the things that this period does for me, the way we're now looking at it, which I've learned just working on the show is that no matter what atrocities were going on at the time and the group of crazy folks, you know, mm-hmm. there was always a group of people fighting for change mm-hmm. and fighting for progress mm-hmm. and fighting to actually make the country represent what, you know, the Constitution and, you know, the Declaration of Independence were and what's it? actually said and what it Mm -hmm, should actually mm -hmm. mean for every American.
3: And putting their bodies
2: on the line, right? Right. And that's always, they've always coexisted. So if you look at that, then you can say, oh no, this wasn't a sad story of there was no one fighting back, no one fighting for us, no one, we weren't fighting for ourselves. It's like, no, it's actually a complete opposite. And so that can continue and that will continue. And we see it with yesterday, Women's Day, we see it with the Women's March and men and women are there and young people and uh, so it's just like, that's been a constant. So it's like, don't despair. Mm -hmm. We've been in the fight, all of us together. Yeah, for a long exactly. time
3: but, you know, but so, you know, as a show, of, like, represents, you know, we get a lot of people that see this as a space to ask questions, white and black and all along the spectrum. And, like, one of the questions we get a lot is, like, what is it, you know, we're talking about Get Out. I don't know either one of you have seen Get Out.
4: <laughs> I have a four month old, so I
3: haven't seen many um. <laughs> movies right now. But one of the questions was, like, there, you know, the, the um, girlfriend on there confronts a police officer with her black boyfriend. And in the show, we say, you know, that was kind of dangerous like regardless of what was going on like the fact that she did that showed that they probably weren't a good match right because she's like mouthing off to the police officer and Mm. he's a black man and you know how that can go right and someone wrote in was like well i feel like she was acting as an ally and you know then we have to do the explaining of like what does an what does an ally actually look like and i feel like what we see in elizabeth and john hawks as like Pe- like people that are not just allies they're invested they see themselves mm-hmm. as you know as an extension of this like also
2: being affected by this like system of brutality mm-hmm. that's but that's humanity and that's humanity yeah. that's what's beautiful about our show I feel like they're just telling a human story that's mm-hmm. why my character's flawed that's why Rosalie's flawed mm-hmm. I mean one of the best things I love about Miss well my daughter's not flawed but <laughs> 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 she did stab a little boy you know you look <laughs> you, you know. were high okay that's they true. drugged you that's true okay.
3: one of, so Misha Green also worked on heroes Mm -hmm. and and, And so did joe and so did joe that's how they met and they talk about first and foremost underground being a thriller Uh uh-huh and that um rosalie is the superhero like we see her origin story and now she's i mean can we talk about episode two right yeah because this
4: airs next week
3: after episode two this airs at next week episode two and anyone that hasn't seen it just skip a
4: minute yeah just mute it for a second for a
3: second <laughs> um,
4: we see you in Spoiler. episode two
3: you you know you had just gotten three uh, men into a boat yeah. into the distance and cause the plan changed Harriet yes. had a vision that it wasn't yes. her transferring them it was me yes and you trust your instincts yes yes and then we see at the end of the episode that you done everything we just saw you do you were doing that very very pregnant
4: very pregnant Yeah, if that is not superhero like. (laughs) Oh, she's
2: definitely a superhero. Uh,
4: Yeah, Rosalie's pretty badass. uh, And so
2: is Journey.
3: And I like it because I think, like, you know, we talk about how much history is in this, but it's also, like, good storytelling. It's, like... Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. Um, you know, look, the fact of the matter is, this was this was the truth. There were pregnant women who operated within the Underground Railroad. There were women who strapped their babies on their backs and ran hundreds of miles barefoot. Um, so, you know, Rosalie is living in a desperate and dangerous time. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, one could ask, "Well, why wouldn't she just sit down and wait and have this child?" And that's—I
3: definitely ask that.
4: I'm sure there's going to be plenty <laughs> of people being like, "What is she doing? She yeah. putting that child at risk." Um, but her idea of family mm. does not end or begin with this child. Yes, it 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 includes many other people: um, her mother, her brother Noah. Um, And we don't have the luxury of time. Exactly. And uh, for uh, for the listeners, Noah. Thank you. Noah is played by Aldous Hodge. um, And he's the baby daddy. (laughs) No, he's he's (laughs) Rosalie's love, you know, Mm. and he's captured. And for her it's exactly what you were just saying is like, there's no luxury. We don't have the time to just chill, you know, like Mm -hmm. there's this immediate immediacy. There's this urgency um, to put the pieces back together. Mm -hmm. She's attained her freedom, but freedom ain't so free, Mm -hmm. you know, and mentally, mentally. Yeah. But she's also paid such a heavy cost for it. You know, she's lost every single person that she loves and she cannot, be free until they truly are free as well. Mm-hmm. And I think in her mind, you know, it's her idea of happiness, her idea of freedom is family for her. And so, you know, when she pictures this this, this whole picture, it includes her mother sitting right there next to her and her baby. Mm-hmm. It includes Noah sitting right there next to her, you know. and And I think nothing will stop her until she... You know, finds a way to put that back together. That's that's her mama in her, though. Mm. You know, Ernestine instilled, if nothing, she instilled a sense of love and family in her, you know, and you protect your family. You are devoted to your family.
3: Ernestine, though, is not lost some of her fire right now.
4: Oh, yeah. She's going through it.
3: And I think what I see in both in both thinking about it in the superhero way and then also thinking about the love, thinking about the sacrifices, I feel like it presents a p- complex picture of black womanhood. But are, are you ever afraid that it's also playing on some of the stereotypes of what it means to be a black woman? No,
2: not at, not at all. I mean, when I read the scripts for this season... Um, all I saw was again human experience, mm. I, and I did not see color. I said, mm. "I." The beauty of season one was where so many people kept texting, "Oh my God, you remind me of my auntie, my mother," mm. you know. And I felt as soon as I read what the journey from Miss Ernestine was going to be for season two, I got excited because I said, "Women from all walks of life are going to mm. are going to say." I identify with that. Yes. I've struggled either with addiction or I've struggled with physical abuse, mm. you know. And the fact that these writers are willing to tackle these issues that really, sadly, yeah. exist throughout history, over time, exists right now, you know. And I think that's what makes it very relevant, you know.
3: Yeah. So I love, love, love the music throughout the show. Mm. Um, season one opens with "Black Skinhead" by Kanye West, and season two of course, opens with Beyoncé. Beyoncé! Oh my gosh.
4: (laughs) We love you, Beyoncé. We love you, (laughs) Queen B. You know, I was so excited when they told us, and we actually didn't find out until last week that they officially got it. Oh, wow. um, Because... There was like uh, there was like this uncertainty forever since freedom came out. Mm. We were always like we want it, we want it, we, we, we want it. We to get freedom <laughs> for season two. Oh Rosalie gotta run to freedom. Yes. <laughs>
2: We all have to run
3: to freedom. Right?
2: Put it in your headphones and
4: yes. get on a treadmill. Seriously.
3: <laughs> Don't you picture her talking to Blue about whether they should oh, do it and yeah. Blue being like, yeah, mommy, go ahead. Right. Give, them, give them the freedom. Give them freedom. <laughs> right. right. And <Anselon>, too. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's do this.
3: <laughs> and in both those montages, opening montages, people are actually running for freedom. Like It's like, and you hear the heartbeat. It's it's so, like, I, I just felt... So, like, I'm there with them. Mm. Who, I mean, besides calling them B, right? <laughs> Who mm-hmm. else? Like, when you think about the music throughout the show and the scoring, is that
2: like all John Legend, who's in the Well, no, producer? we have amazing yeah. composers Laura yeah. Cartman, award winning Laura Cartman, mm, and Raphael, Raphael Sadiq. Cadiq. So, oh, when you, when you, from, um, real talk, yes.
4: Raphael Sadiq from Tony Tony, Dis- Tony, Tone. Tony 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 has Mince done Kondition? it again no, no. 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 Tony, Tony, Tony 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 yeah Tony Tony, yeah. Tone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tony, Tony, Tony Tone. and then uh, Pearl what was the, uh, yes. the he had oh, yes. Pearl Gosh.
3: coffee
4: oh uh, my husband is gonna oh, be disappointed okay, yes. that I didn't know coffee he's gonna, stone he's gonna, he's gonna
3: Coffee going no. mm. uh, he's
4: gonna be like Jody, how did you mind?
3: <laughs> I'll, I'll play a little bit of it so people will
4: know what we're talking about. No, Rafael Sadiq is legendary yeah. and a legend.
3: Yeah? Yeah. Is my head? Uh, oh! Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yes.
4: But yeah, he and Laura do the score. Okay. Um, and so John Legend and Mike Jackson and Ty from the Get Lifted uh, production company, okay. they are our executive producers. And they do oversee like the music selections and stuff like that, but... Um, But, you know, and then John Legend wrote an original song for season two called In America Mm. that plays at the end. everything. If you don't know it yet, go Mm. download.
2: Real talk. Not even just because he's R.E.P. The song is fantastic. Yeah. Especially for right
4: now. Mm. Yeah. He also, you know, does a cameo this season as Frederick Mm -hmm. Douglass. Oh. Oh.
3: Wait. Wait. it's, It's from episode one.
4: Um, I think it's episode five. Okay. He's in.
3: Um, Second to last question. Um, My girlfriends, I was telling Journey, my girlfriends would kill me if I didn't ask a question about her (laughs) 1996 film, Eve's Bayou. 97. Google told me 1996. Google's wrong. We filmed it. We filmed it in 96. Uh, It came out in 97. Okay, so you're 1997. I was seven. Yep, I was seven. Um, And um, it's a coming-of-age classic for black girls. I Mm. think one of... The only there haven't been many mm. coming of age stories with black. There's a few. Girls I mean, Crooklyn is one Krickland. of my favorite. For some reason, my mom let me watch by You, but she didn't let me watch Crooklyn. I couldn't watch many movies oh, growing so. up, okay. and I shouldn't have been watching Eve's Bayou. Maybe I was seven. <laughs> no, wait, was I
4: seven? I
3: was on 85, so I was no, I was 12. Yeah, I was 12. I wasn't seven. Mama, I'm sorry, right? Mama's like <laughs> seven, baby. <laughs>
2: you got uh, me looking crazy yeah, on the Yeah, end. yeah, no, no, I was
3: <laughs> tough. I was tough. Um, were you? aware of how radical that character was that role was at the time and looking back um, what do you think about Eve's role and Eve is the character that you play on Eve by you what do you think about her role in the history of film
4: man you know I certainly was not aware of it being anything radical I just wanted to do you know a good job um, Mm -hmm. and do her justice for me you know I could relate to Eve in so many ways um I knew her you know Um, she felt like me in so many ways and so no like when you're I was 10 years old first of all you
3: really were 10 yeah I was 10 when we
4: I turned 10 three days before we started shooting Mm -hmm. so I you know I wasn't aware of any of this being of any like substantial change or anything like I was not aware of what we were doing in cinema um, obviously for me my mom was my acting coach um, Casey was and is one of the most incredible storytellers and visionaries that we have. Mm, Casey's and, the creator
3: of his you, Yes,
4: Casey Lemons. And, um, you know, they really worked with me and tried to get me to understand the inner workings of who Eve was which was really the first time you know that was happening with me as an actor like I have been doing this since I was really little but we weren't really diving into like inner workings <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um uh but yeah you know I think this was Casey's story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I learned so much by working on this film, working with such legends like Sam Ugh. and Lynn and Debbie oh, and man. Diane. And
3: I rewatched it for this interview, and it, it still holds up. Because you know how sometimes you remember something fondly, and then you go back and watch it, and you're like, oh, yeah. that is not as good. Right. Those performances are still as powerful. What she tell her mom?
0: And where's daddy? He's never home. He's supposed to be home sometimes.
2: Listen, you little ingrate. Your father works hard so we can have a house with four bathrooms.
3: Not every night he's not working. I know he's not. Now, as an adult looking back at that, can't imagine being
4: that precocious that I'm just gonna say that to my mom. Yeah, but you know, honestly, it was, and what's funny is, is my mom um, allowed us to be a not to her, but we were, yeah, there's <laughs> a distinction, mm-hmm. but she allowed us to be very opinionated mm. um, to adults. You know, we were always asked what we felt. And so for me, that's why I think I understood Eve. Mm. That's something I would have said, you know, not to my mama. Uh-huh. Cause she had <laughs> a <Yeah>. smack <laughs> um, But, you know, um, I think f- for me, that film, was the first time I realized I wanted to do this for the rest of my life. It was Mm. the first time I think I fell in love Mm. with the craft. Mm. Do you remember,
3: Amira, the first time you fell in love with the craft?
2: Um, The first project I did, I guess. Mm. Yeah, it was in high school. And um, I I was not, I was like, (laughs) I was in Midwood High School in Brooklyn. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And they have this thing called BHA, Black Heritage Alliance. And so my was, was friends, February? you know, it was. you know, was. <laughs> <laughs> and so I got cast as Tina Turner because I had a lot of hair. It's a lot of qualifications. Yeah, comes, you know? real
4: Tina, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I want to
2: see your Tina, honey. But honestly, I knew nothing about how to work on a character, but just kind of approach it academically because I was a student like everyone mm-hmm, else. Mm-hmm. So the only my only approach, which now I realize is dramaturgy. You know, but at that time, I had no clue what dramaturgy was. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of... Angela Bassett, still one of my favorite actresses. So I was just, like, watching the movie, reading about Tina Turner's life, you know, really getting into a character. And I think... um that's what I fell in love with. Mm-hmm. I, ne- I didn't. I didn't do it to be because I was actually like, oh God, what? I got to stand on a stage. That didn't appeal to me. Which yeah. I actually love that entryway because even now, it's not about it's not about being seen. It's just about digging into these worlds, and that always excites me into these characters and who they are and why they did what they did.
3: Well, the last question that we ask all our guests mm-hmm. is, when was the f- last time you saw something on screen? So it can't be underground, something that you weren't involved in. That you felt represented by.
2: Oh. Hold on. I have an answer. I'm just trying to make sure that's the right one. That's what
4: I want to say. Well, I'm trying to go back to think of the films I've seen.
2: Well, I'll say, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna just go with mine. I'll go. I will go. I mean, I just saw. I saw Moonlight. Mm. Yeah, I was say you know that what said. I mean. Yeah. yeah, that's the the most recent. You know, Terrell Alvin, Alvin McRae. McCre- oh my God! McCre- right. I'm saying it. Sorry, Terrell is my yeah. boy. He gonna be like really a <laughs> 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 But we did theater together, and he's wow. so he's so brilliant. You know, and um, I knew I knew some actors in it too. And but that's not the point. The whole point is just that to hear that story. I feel represented because I just feel like it's a story in the world that I exist in and -hmm. the people that I love. And so, and they haven't had the light on, you know, really shining on them in the way that it needs to be you know on on that true love on what that is and I think you know exposure to get to know people Mm -hmm. all these different communities I think that's so important because I think often a lot of the biases come because it's just ignorance yeah, you know they don't know they don't see what that is so it becomes the other and the other is so scary Mm -hmm. it's you know and that becomes dangerous it's a beautiful thing that 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 movie came out and I'm just so proud of them that they were able to win an Oscar
4: I know and you know for me
2: well deserved
4: yeah I grew up with four brothers, you know, and so the idea of masculinity Mm. in Mm -hmm. our black male community frustrates me. Yeah. Um, Like what it means to be a black man is way more complex, but our brothers are really boxed into this identity they didn't even ask for. Mm. Um, And so I so appreciated what they explored with the, The definition of masculinity and it's not it's not even about sexuality like if you even if you take that element of moonlight away um because if you're straight or gay if you are a young boy who's not as rough or as hard or as tough or you know not interested in certain things you're judged you're bullied you're you know placed into a box and for me that is something i I witnessed firsthand, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's something that, you know, I talk even with my husband now having a son about really what what are these gender definitions that we've inherited and what can we do about this? You know, why do we raise boys to be like, oh, you're a sissy? You know, why do we tell them this? Why do we say, oh, stop acting like a girl? Why, why do we you know, we don't realize what we're doing and how mm-hmm. we're rearing our children. Um, and I so appreciated that commentary in mm-hmm. um, Moonlight. You know, I I could so relate to that mm-hmm. in so many ways.
3: Our listeners will be no stranger. I feel like, oh, since Moonlight has come out, like eight out of ten people say Moonlight. It oh, resonates beautiful. with so many people. So our listeners definitely, mm-hmm. um, there, there's no explanation needed as far as the storyline because they've heard us gush about it and they've heard other people um, gush about Um, The impact of it. But I'll say,
2: too, for me, you know, it it shines a light on we have to hold each other accountable and we have to demand more from each other. Mm. You know, that casual conversation that you have with your girlfriend that's just playing that you go, oh, my God, look at him. You know, he's gay. Like we can't we can't continue to take joy from other people's experience, Mm -hmm. you know, and and I check myself often and I'm like, no, we have to check each other to say, you know, I want more for our community, our communities at large. I want more for myself. I want more for my children. I want more for my friend, you know, for my first the stranger. They should be able to exist in however they are without having to be the brunt of someone's joke just to, you know for the sake of of just having a conversation. Find mm-hmm. something else to talk about and well, let people it, exist. It goes back
3: to what, you know, what you were saying as far as, like, people need to feel like it's not just a group, it's a person, you know? Like, yeah. and hearing someone's, and knowing someone's story or caring about that person as an individual and not just seeing them as the stereotype in the monolith that is easier to, to curse or reject or right. uh, talk about or disregard. Um Y'all got me all of my feels thinking about moonlight now. <laughs> <laughs> it's early. How will we go out without day? Thank you both so much for Thank coming you. on the Thank show. You. Thank you. I feel like I have my like low
2: Oprah voice now. Yeah. I, I know.
3: didn't make either I... one of you cry. I I feel like I failed her. <laughs>
2: That's great. I'm I'm t- I'm tearing. I'm tearing. <laughs>
0: okay. all right that's a wrap thank you so much for listening to us as always and it was great to have verilynn in on the interviewer's chair it was great to listen to her uh talk to journey and amira about underground season two so check it out and you should definitely check out season two on wgn which airs every wednesday night and of course thank you to june it was really awesome to have you make your represent debut to discuss american housewife and angela on the show Be sure to head over to our Facebook page at Slate Represent to discuss any thoughts you had on the show, things we talked about. We'll be there. We'll be chatting, going back and forth with you all. It's been great to hear all of your thoughts on especially Get Out in the last few weeks, so keep them coming. And as always, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Megaphone, Stitcher, or any other place you find your podcasts. Also, you may have seen the hashtag tripod, that's T-R-Y-P-O-D, lingering around your news feeds on Facebook and Twitter, you should definitely check it out. Tripod is a movement towards having people discover new podcasts, and you should share any new podcast you're enjoying. Also, for those who may not be familiar with podcasts, you can help them figure out how to navigate the podcast world. And on our Slate show page, we'll direct you to some of my recommendations. I recently made a playlist for Radio Public uh, that is centered around some of my favorite podcast episodes uh, centered around politics and entertainment uh, including some episodes from pop culture happy hour and code switch so you guys can check that out that's my hashtag tripod Represent is produced by the lovely, amazing Marilyn Williams. The executive producer of Slate Podcast is Steve Licktai. Andy Bowers is chief content officer of Panoply. And you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Slate Represent. And the music you're hearing right now is performed by the sweet San Francisco funk soul band Midtown Social. Until next time.